Swim check one, two. Bike check one, two. Run check one, two. I think we're ready. Let's try this. Welcome to the Try Beginner's Luck podcast, a podcast where we explore the sport of triathlon from a variety of perspectives to help beginner triathletes on their journey. I am your host, Nishanda Shines. Well, welcome to another edition of Try Beginner's Luck. Yes, I am still thrilled. I don't know about you, but you're probably looking at me like, oh my God, are you cold? No, I just really like this. And I was like, "Mm, I look fly. So I'm wearing it for those of you who can see it. But for those of you who can't just imagine this nice puffy vest with my hair, my new hair in the wind, and it's just not really win, but anyway, I'm making up this whole scenario. Anyway, guess what? Today I have a guest with me who's, it's all about mental. Have you ever had a mental block? Have you ever not wanted to work out when you were supposed to work out? Or have you ever quote on micro quit? Who even comes up with these terms? But anyway, this particular young lady is the woman who you need in your life to get yourself all the way together. She is a mental endurance coach and host of the Train Your Mind podcast. Oh yeah. It's her mission to change the way athletes train and race by addressing them by addressing their most important and often underutilized performance tool, the mind. Drop the mic here. We don't need to go any further. She is a six-time Ironman finisher, two-time Ironman World Championships qualifier. She's a wife and an obsessive mom dog, dog mom, (laughs) obsessive dog mom. Clearly I'm getting all twist tongue, forget it. Let me welcome to this edition, Miss Vanessa I'm getting nervous because she's talking about the mind. Jesus, I don't know if she's going to check me on my mind, the reason why I'm acting like this today, but get yourself together, Mashonda. Welcome to Try Beginner's Luck, Vanessa Forster. How are you, girlfriend? Oh, I am so great. Thank you so much for having me. I love it. I love your energy. I love your enthusiasm. And uh, you don't need to be nervous around me. <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm just like, I'm tired. Are you getting sweaty in that puppy get, vest now? Yes. I need to take it <laughs> off. Like I'm trying to be all cool and look all legit and oh, too many clothes. Got my brain all fried. Plus this wig, child. I'm listening. I'm done. <laughs> anyway. We're just here to have some fun. We're just here to have some fun. That's it. That is it. So Vanessa. Wow. I've listened to an episode or so of your, um, your podcast. And um, I have to say that I'm convicted and uh, the micro quitting kind of got to me a bit. And why are you so hard on people? Like like, back down 50 feet or whatever, like chill out. But no, do you really want me to, do you really want me to back down? I don't. (laughs) I don't, I just, I'm one of those people, like, I want to hear it, but not hear it. Right. And many of my listeners probably are the same way too, but it's like, we need to hear that hard stuff, but we don't necessarily want to hear it when we need it the mm-hmm, most. Mm-hmm. And so I, I want to dive right in and then we'll get into your background, but what is it to be a mental endurance coach. What is that? Tell us that's kind of a new term. Yeah. I made it up actually. (laughs) Cause you know what? You can do that. 
in this life. You can do that in this world, whatever you want to be, you can just decide to be that including a triathlete or a mental endurance coach. So what it is, it's the greatest job in the world because it allows me to blend my passion for multi-sport with working with the greatest potential in athletes. And that's what I do. So I work with athletes uh, one-on-one and also in my group program to help them build what I call mental endurance, which is a combination of four different skills, performance, thinking, self-awareness, emotional regulation, and self-confidence, all four skills that are everything in becoming, becoming a triathlete, progressing as a triathlete, just doing more of what we love. Uh, let's pump the brakes real quick. Cause that went by over my head a little bit. Let's, <laughs> let's repeat those four things that you do. Cause there was something in there and I was like, what is that? Okay. So what are the four things again? Performance thinking, self-awareness, emotional regulation, and self-confidence. Okay. Those are the four skills of mental endurance. Which one hooked, like piqued your entrance? Emotional regulation? What? That was the response. That emotional regulation is something that needs to be taught in the world. So you don't need to be just teaching an athlete. You need to be teaching like everybody. Well, that's the thing about mental endurance is that how you do one thing is how you do everything. So when you learn these skills and apply it to performance and athletics, what it does is affect the rest of your life. I just happen to love working with athletes, but my background is as a certified life coach. So what I'm doing is help elevate your life. I just take it from the performance avenue, the athletic multi-sport avenue. You smart. (laughs) Well, I know how to speak straight to your brain. That's why the micro quit really caught you because I'm also an athlete first. So everything that I share, I'm always my own first athlete. So everything that I share, all the concepts that I come up with, they come from a combination of my own experience in starting as a beginner and progressing in the sport, but also with all of the athletes that I'm honored to work with. So, okay. So how did you know that this was what you wanted to do? You, you were a life coach and then you said, okay, I want to work with athletes. What was the aha moment that said, no, this is where I need to focus. Mm, That's such a good question. So it actually, it was before I took the step to get certified. So I used to work for a company called orange theory fitness. A lot of people are familiar. It's a great boutique studio. I worked for the company for six and a half years. And when I first started working there, I was on the sales and operations side until I finally made the transition to coaching. And so I live in Bozeman, Montana, and I moved to Montana to open Orange Theory Studios. And I was coaching here. And for my two years as an Orange Theory fitness coach, I realized that the greatest impact that I was having on people inside the studio was on their mind. Because Orange Theory, you know, it's it's an exercise program. And so it's not multi-sport, but it's the same idea where we're pushing ourselves beyond what we think is possible, you know, hitting point one up on that treadmill or increasing that incline and really challenging us like stretch beyond what we thought was possible. And my ability to connect with people inside the four walls of orange theory and really have them be seen in a different way. I realized that that was my strength. And so I wanted to do more of that. And I wanted it to be with athletes that I, I connect with because I'm one of them. And I thought, how can I blend these two worlds? 
And also I should probably tell you because he would be very upset if I didn't share this. My husband had been telling me to be a life coach for probably five years up and up until that point, he was like, you need to do this. This is your, this is your calling. And so finally I listened and I realized that was my way of connecting the two of what I was so passionate about inside, you know, working with athletes or working with, I actually did call them athletes in orange theory, um, working with the participants in orange theory. And then in my world of, of triathlon. So when I got certified and I recognized the power of utilizing our minds, there was no one else I was going to work with. I was like, these are my people. These are my people. I got, I have to bring this work. I know that there's no one else in the world that will teach mindset to endurance athletes like me period done. I have to go. That's what I do. That's good stuff. I I have to say shout out to orange theory. I absolutely love orange theory. And, uh, that leaderboard is definitely, um, it's nothing like that leaderboard, you know, that's right. There's nothing like it. And, uh, I, had to stop going to orange theory when I, um, had a fifth metatorsal stress fracture. And so I just focused on just recovery in zone two, and I'm actually starting to go back next month. So I am so excited so that you mentioned orange theory. Cause I'm like, I really do love orange theory. It's the I great, perfect workout that's mm-hmm. get you in and out, get you all the things that you need. Anyway, this is not about them. Cause they have <laughs> this is not sponsored by orange theory. <laughs> Hello. But it can be, I mean, Hey, yeah. Um, right. But no, I think that's so cool that it was in your working of just doing what you love that you said, Oh no, these are my people and this is who I want to help. So what have you done thus far? Like, how did you get your start? Like, did you just start with one client and how did you promote yourself? Because honestly, and maybe I should feel some type of way of just now learning about what you do. And I wish I could have had access to you because I could have used you um, for some things, but like, tell me, how do you get the word out about what you do? Yeah. um, So in the beginning, what I did, and this was the recommendation of my certification program, which I love because they really helped us kind of grow into owning our own business. Uh, I went to my circles of people. So at the time I was, I was racing for a particular team, um, an apparel company. And I just went into that team and was like, Hey, this is, I'm doing this now. I'm a, at that time I I had a different term. I wasn't a mental endurance coach yet. I kind of evolved into that, but I was like, this is what I do. I want to help you with anything that's holding you back. Are there 10 to 12, 10 to 15 women in here that need help? I want to help you for free. So I just tried helping people for free. Like, what can I do? How can I meet more people, get better at my coaching skills and offer um, my value to them without expecting anything in return? So that's how I started. And I, I kept doing that for a little while and getting better and better at coaching. And really it just became, how can I offer value to my, to my sphere of people? It wasn't about reaching more and more people. It was just about helping the people that were already there. I've been in the sport for 12, 13 years now. So there are people in my, you know, Instagram following Facebook following that are triathletes are in multi-sport are endurance athletes. So I just showed up ready to help them in any way that I could. That was how I began. Wow. Well, thank you. Thank you for starting and Mm -hmm. not really 
wanting the outcome to be anything other than creating value for those that are in your network and just trying to help them become better. And, you know, honestly, I do believe that there's something to that when, of course, people want to make money. I'm here for that. But I also think it's something when you can help build someone up and when you can help pour into their Mm -hmm. life, because that is the, what is the word? It's the It's the unseen Mm. goal. The intangible. Yeah. Intangible. Thank you. The intangible uh, results that you get to see that you may not quote unquote get the fruit from, but it truly is the seed that keeps on planting. Because if you can build one person up, then they can build another person up. Mm -hmm. Then they can build another person up. And that means you will always be bearing fruit. In season or out because you've planted so many seeds around. And so I just want to give you kudos for just stepping out, I believe, on faith to start your business, to trust in yourself, to be able to do the life coach, to listen to your husband, to say, hey, girl, get out here and do this thing. You're good. And I'm sure that had to come with some believing in yourself and building up. I want to talk about that a little bit. Why didn't you truly believe that you could do this? Why didn't I? Or did you? Well, what's interesting is when you said that, I I realized it's actually a lot like beginners, what beginners believe about themselves as being athletes or even high performers believe as they want to like progress and progress is that if you wait to believe in yourself by having, you know, the evidence that says it's true, you're going to be waiting for a long time. So I would say I had enough belief in myself to begin. I had made the decision. I was all in. I was all in on it. I did. And as long as it takes now, was it shaky at times? Yes, of course. I'm a human, right? I'm a human with human emotions and it's not all, it's not hundred percent all the time, but I was willing to start and I was willing to keep showing up and I was willing to keep trying and I was willing to be bad at it until I was good at it. And I'm still willing to be bad at it. There's some days I'm like, I'm on fire. Other days I'm like, I am smoldering right now, (laughs) but I still show up. Right. And that's true for us. When we set goals in athletics is like, if it's stretching you, then that's like, that's your growth edge. That's your emotional edge to get more out of yourself. So you might not have a hundred percent belief, but if you just make the decision and you have enough enough to take the next step. You don't have to know the how, and that's what we all want is like the step-by-step blueprint. How do I get from here to there? But we, because we're humans and we're, we are high performers and that's what we want. But if you can step out without the, how you figure out the, how along the way. (laughs) Y'all can't see me, but I'm like, (laughs) praise it. (laughs) I mean, you just gotta lift your hands on that one because you just dropped so many gems. You said, I had enough to believe in me and myself. You had enough to believe in yourself to start. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then you was like, okay, to be bad at it, but you still show up. That's where people stop. That's it. People stop when they feel like they're trash. And I say that very lightly because I don't want to call anybody trash, but when they feel like they're not fast enough or they're not good enough. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, when there's that level of emotional discomfort Mm. where you might feel a little bit vulnerable, or you might be like, what are people going to think? Right. But I believe to my core that discomfort, 
emotional discomfort and physical at some point, because we're athletes is the currency to your dreams. Everything that you want is on the other side of feeling discomfort. It's, are you willing to feel it? I'm tripping over here. <laughs> oh my God. Take okay. a breath. Inhale, exhale. We're in this. Are you coaching this is the right work. Yeah, I am. I'm always. Okay. Okay. Oh my God. Oh my gosh. I'm having like all the moments. This is good. <laughs> Y'all just take a moment and just sit quietly for a second. <laughs> wow. I am so mad that I have not known you before this moment. I mean, like I've. Well, guess what? You know me now. You I know me do. now. You're right on time. What if that were true? This is right when you were supposed to meet me and talk to me is right now. This is my podcast. Vanessa, stop it. It's All right, my stop. No, I'm just kidding. No, you're fine. I just think this is, it's really good. And I really, you know, my heart is for beginners, right? I feel like I'm getting a little emotional because if people say they fall off the bike and they don't get up again, they mm -hmm. never know that they can truly ride. You know, mm -hmm. if someone can't run more than a mile, they can't imagine themselves doing three miles in a race and they think that they have to run, but you don't, you can walk. Like there's so many pathways to your dream and it is really my heart. And I feel like I'm talking so low so people can't really hear me. It is really my heart for you guys to hear what Vanessa is saying because you all you have to do is just believe that you can do it. It is the start of truly the tri-season. Like the tri-season is right amongst us. Setting your heart and in your mind, if the first race doesn't go good, so what? You have plenty of other times in this year to get it mm -hmm. right. Don't focus on what you didn't do well. Focus on what you are doing and what you are doing in this moment that's still bettering yourself. Because just because you do show up and you told the line, excuse me, and you told the line of the start line or told the line, whatever the saying is, you're still better off than when you're sitting at home on the couch. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So get out there, start. It's the beginning of the season. And I just want to set you guys up for the best success. Okay, Vanessa. All right. Whew, we, we went so in so deeply. I feel like let's back out a bit and let's talk about your beginning experience. Okay. You got started in 2007. Mm -hmm. um, you were training for a marathon and then you said, Hey, I think it would be fun to do a sprint. First of all, how does one come up and think it's fun to do a sprint training for a marathon, but Hey, let's talk about it. <laughs> um, you know, that's a really good question. I'm not sure. I was, I was actually training for a half marathon. It was my first half marathon and I had been running and I thought, I know how to run. So let's just figure out if maybe I can put three sports together. I think it was just like a little bit of a cross training. Something piqued my interest. I was living in Georgia at the time. There's a lot of different races in Georgia. And, um, I very quickly realized the triathlon community and the multi-sport community is very big there, but I just, there was something inside of me that wanted to experience something other than just running in a straight line for a long time. I, I can't even, I can't even really describe exactly what it was, but I just, 
had this, I, I didn't know anybody else. It was just me. I didn't have a friend that invited me. I just learned about it and thought that would be fun. Maybe if I like it, I can try it again. If I don't like it, maybe I won't go back, but I'm going to go and give it a try. Right. And, uh, I felt confident that I could do the last leg because it was running and I had been training to run. And, uh, I borrowed my dad's bike and he was six, three. I didn't even know how to shift it, but I was like, I got two wheels. So I'm going to be all right. And I bet I went in the pool maybe two or three times the week of the race, just to make sure that I could get across the pool. I did take some lessons growing up and I grew up swimming and I wasn't really on a team, but I knew how to swim. So I thought I could probably finish this. It might take me a long time. And it did, but I could probably finish this. And, uh, yeah. (laughs) Tripping because she said I went to the pool a few times that week, the week of the race. Mm -hmm. Wow. So I think what's so interesting is that like so many other beginners, you just, you did it with what you had and just was like, Hey, I'm going to, I was so naive. (laughs) I was so naive in the best way possible. You can't ever get that naivety back. I love it. And that's the beauty of it. I mean, how many people have gone out on, I mean, you borrowed your dad's bike for Christ's sakes. Like, is your dad the same height? Did it fit? Like, there's so no. many things that could be wrong with that. <laughs> Let me tell you a story from inside the race. Okay. I didn't know how to shift it. And I remember, I will never, ever forget this. I was coming into transition. So let's all celebrate the fact that I made it through a 10, 12 mile bike ride, whatever it was. And at the bottom, it was a parking lot where transition was. And there was a little hill to get up. And there was a man, a volunteer standing at the bottom of the hill. Like this is a, he was saying, it's a steep hill, shift down, shift down, shift down. And I was like, I don't know how <laughs> I said that out loud. I don't know how, but I made it up. Apparently whatever gear I was in worked for the entire race because I did not shift it a single time. You don't even know how to, you don't need to know how to shift a bike in order to be a part of this amazing sport, amazing community. Yeah. He was not, I'm, I'm five, six. He was six, three. So it did not fit me. I might've I think he probably like dropped the saddle a little bit, but <laughs> it's not made for me. I'm, I'm trying to figure out like the height disparity. Yeah. That's big. But anyway, you finished the race. You did, did. it. And guess what? You, you I fell in love. You're here to tell about it. I am. I, I remember that post race when there were like vendors and people were buying like, you know, the swim bike run shirts and there were stickers. I bought like everything. I was like, this is it. I'm in. And, I, and it probably took me at least double, if not three or four times the amount of time it would take me today, but I was loving it. And the community of people, they were so welcoming and just everything. And I was like, I want more of this. Wow. And that moment when you do have that feeling that you want more of it, it's a feeling that doesn't go away. No, Every especially you if you cultivate line. it. Right, right, right. Yeah. Wow. That th- I love it. Okay. So Georgia, I have to pause there for a second. Are you from Georgia by chance? I am actually technically I am from, I'm born. I was born in Georgia, but I've moved 13 times. So spent more time away from Georgia now than I spent in Georgia, but I was born in Georgia, a Martin army base. And I went to UGA for college for my undergrad and masters. Okay. And I lived in Atlanta for a year and a half. So 
Well, we're fellow peaches. Come on, Georgia peaches. Are you in Georgia right now? No, I'm not right now. I'm in Washington, D.C. right now, but I'm from Augusta, Georgia. Mm, I've done Augusta 70.3. It's a good race. It is. Oh, Small world. I knew you were, I knew you were special when we were having, <laughs> I, I just knew it. She's, she's a Georgia girl. Ew. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> okay. We're off the rails, but that's okay. So you've done your first race. You did it in Georgia. You did it on your dad's bike. You didn't know how to shift. You finished, you had this euphoric feeling and was like, I want more. So what was next for you, Vanessa? It's funny that you asked that. So that was in 2007. And I remember uh, I was in college at the time and I like went back, you know, into my like everyday world. And I was like, I'm, I'm going all in, I'm going to do five, six races next year. Like that was a sprint. So I was like, I'm going to do a couple more sprints. I'm going to try an Olympic or a couple Olympics. This is it. This is, I'm going to keep going. Cause I was a collegiate rower and I had stopped rowing at that point, I believe. Yeah. I stopped rowing was, was running the half marathon. And I was like, Oh, this is the thing I'm going to go do multi-sport. And then I did zero, zero in 2008. I went from, I love this so much. I'm going to do five or six next year. And then I ended up doing zero just life got in the way. I, uh, I was graduating, moving into my master's program and I, I kept running, but I didn't do any races, but it just was that year because I knew that there was something I, I left part of my like soul on that course that I needed to go back. And so what it took was me graduating, moving to Atlanta and being a part of a team, being a part of a community. I joined the Atlanta triathlon club and then literally the rest is history because that was the first of four or five triathlon clubs I've been a part of. And it really helped me foster my love for the sport and learn more about it being community of people and set goals and all that good stuff. So that's, that was the change. That was the next step for me. The next step was you needed community. And I want to talk about community and the community importance. So many of the guests that come on Tribe Beginners Let talk about the importance of community. And it seems like community helped to shape who you are today in the triathlon world. So let's talk about that a bit. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely did. I, when I look back to those early days and even now, but especially in the beginning, it, it helped me learn more about the sport because I didn't know how to shift a bike. So I needed to learn some things. Um, it kept me motivated and excited. I had somewhere to go on Saturday mornings for Saturday morning, long runs. I actually got to know the city more as I lived in Atlanta and I got more comfortable running different routes and, um, had people to look forward to, to meet at races. It just, my, my smaller community ended up growing. And then I, I also, over the course of the time that I was part of ATC, I got to then help others like new, new people that were coming in because I became a run, a run leader. So I would lead a run group on Saturday mornings. And it just gave me this other dynamic to the sport that was beyond just myself. Like I was, I was excited to be there and I set goals. And I was working towards those goals, but then I also had this other piece, um, helping others come into the sport that just, it just like filled my soul. I loved it. So love it. (laughs) I love it. Like, I think that is so cool that you just didn't stop at taking from the organization, but you gave back in and wanted to bring others into the organization and just into sport. So Vanessa, we've talked about your start, which is 
quite amazing and hilarious at the same time. But let's talk about, okay, we're now in our third and fourth year. Let's talk about you growing as an athlete. What was that like? Yeah, well, you know, talk about that community. Let's take it back there. When you're surrounded by people that um, are setting goals, it challenges you to do the same thing. So I did my first half Ironman. I, I, I loved my beginning in sprint and Olympic. But what I realized that I loved the most was those times where I was challenged to be inside my own head for longer periods of time. I like to call it the empty moments and getting closer to myself and developing a better relationship with myself in those empty moments, like those longer rides on the bike. So I really had this desire to, to move into long course pretty quickly. Like I just wanted to, and I was part of a group where a lot of people did long course triathlon. So I did my first half Ironman in 2010 and very quickly when I was training for that, I ended up like in Georgia, there's, you know, there's a lot of different training options. I did like a 5k open water swim race just with the team. And we were doing century rides. And then I also ran my first marathon in 2011. So when I did all three of those separate swam far, biked far and ran far, I was like, I think I could do an Ironman. I can do them all individually. So maybe it's time to put them together. So I signed up for my first Ironman in, and that was in 2011. So my progression was like, what do I love most? I loved going far. I loved the endurance aspect, the intensity of going fast for me in the beginning. Wasn't, it didn't really inspire me. It didn't really motivate me, but going far did. So I was like, how do I do more of that? And that's, that was what piqued my interest for a long course for going into half Ironman and Ironman, not because I needed it to define me as a triathlete, but just because I, it, it was the thing that felt like my next step, like for me and and what I wanted out of the sport. So that's how I, I did my first Ironman in 2011. And it was such a magical experience. I will never, ever, ever forget it. Ironman, Arizona. I actually went back last year, 10 years later to celebrate my first Ironman. And I had set a goal um, 2012, 2013 to go back in 2021 and qualify for Kona. And I went back, I qualified for St. George because you know, the times that we're in, but I celebrated that 10 year anniversary of my first Ironman by going back to Ironman, Arizona. Wow. So it's interesting that you said that you found your rhythm and zone in the long distances and sprints weren't really as appetizing for you. I think that's important for those of you who are listening or watching is to figure out what feeds your soul when you're training. And if it's that short, quick burst, focus there until Mm -hmm. your body says, Hey, I want something a little bit more. And if it's those long, like you'd like to be out there long, remember Floyd, he talked about if it's anything under three miles or four miles, he doesn't do it. He doesn't join people on their fun runs. He's like, cause I need to go long. It's not fun for me. It's not fun mm-hmm. for me to do the shorter run. So find what works for you and then stay in that lane and find people community who likes mm-hmm. to do the same thing so that you're always in a group and not have to train by yourself so much because going long can be lonely. <laughs> 
That's it cute. can be lonely. It can be, but it also does challenge our challenge us to get comfortable with who we are in those empty moments because racing is solo. That's true. Right. Like there's people around you, but really it's a lot of time in your own head. So you got to practice and training what you want to execute in racing. I love that. You also, I asked some pre-production questions and that just helps me get to know the guest because I don't often have time to do, oh, tell me about this. And I want to make sure that all the questions are usually kind of fruitful when we come together, but you've been racing for so long and you just celebrated your 10 year anniversary last year. You set a goal, you qualified for that goal, but you've mentioned to me that you've had some great races and some bad races, but believe they're all a part of your journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and that you continue to strive to improve your performance by first addressing a mental, your mental endurance. But I want to talk about how did you come to the conclusion, which I think is fantastic, by the way, that your great races and your bad races were all a part of the journey and not to be so hard on yourself when you had the bad races. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely been a learning and is constantly a learning, but really that is such a cornerstone of mental endurance of what I teach because our default is when we set expectations for ourselves and we don't fulfill those expectations that we beat ourselves up. Right. We, and that unhealthy relationship with ourselves is then impacts the next training and the next race. So what it comes down to and the way, the simplest way I like to think about it is that we're humans before we're athletes, we're humans first and athletes second. And as humans, like life is a series of ups and downs. Things don't always go our way, right? We have, you know, hard things that come up. We have trauma in our lives. Like that's just part of the human experience. We will feel 50% positive emotion and 50% negative emotion. That is the human experience. And that's also true inside of training because training is just a microcosm of life. So things go well, things don't go well. You have successful training sessions, unsuccessful training sessions, races that go according to plan or at least close to it. And then races that fall completely off the plan. And when you allow yourself to see that it's just one more step in the journey towards your goals, it creates a sense of freedom to continue moving forward instead of beating yourself down and creating a barrier to move forward. Interesting, interesting, interesting. So can you tell us about an experience that you had that was a race that wasn't so good or it was a bad race for you? And how did you overcome it? Yeah, I, do you have a preference whether it's short or long course? Does it matter? You can share both. Okay. So I'll start with, I think the best example, honestly, is Ironman Chattanooga 2018. So I, uh, that race, the days leading up to the race, it, uh, rained quite a bit and there was a lot of flooding around the course. So they actually ended up canceling the swim and adjusting the run course. And what that meant for race day is that instead of starting with a swim, we did like a time trial start on the bike. And I, so I did like my normal pre-race routine of like eating breakfast and, and getting prepared. 
But what ended up happening is that there was less time. Like I ate breakfast and then I didn't swim for an hour or hour plus. Like I planned, I went straight on the bike and then I had my nutrition plan for the bike. And so my system was kind of already overloaded by the food I had for breakfast. And then I made a very poor choice to not time my nutrition appropriately on the bike. hundred percent on me, hundred percent my responsibility, but I took in all of my nutrition plus my extra way faster than I was supposed to. So my, my system, my body was just on overload. And so I got to the run and I had massive GI issues and I pretty much had to like throw my race plan out of the window. And for that race, my goal was to get on the podium. And it was just a matter of getting to the finish line. I knew I wasn't going to quit. That was not in me, but getting to the finish line was really, really important. But I was, it was a struggle. It was a struggle. Like I allowed myself to walk when needed, but when you, sometimes when you walk, it's, it feels just as hard because it's just taking longer. And I was like, I just want to be out of this uncomfortable state. And when I finished that race, I was just really like really disappointed, just really bummed that I didn't think through that appropriately, you know, like miss not swimming and thinking about how that could impact my nutrition. And then trying to figure out what happened on the bike. Like, why did I eat all that food so fast? You know, like no one was force feeding me. That was me. And so I just noticed that I was kind of like in that blame game of like, you know, you did this to yourself. And it was just like, I was, it was a really negative experience instead of allowing myself the opportunity to know that every race is a different experience. And what can I learn from this? A huge part of what I do in my coaching practice is teach athletes how to evaluate, not to eliminate the emotion because the disappointment that I felt post-race was valid. And I'm not going to take that away from myself, but it's important to feel the disappointment process that that's the emotional regulation piece that you were paying attention to in the beginning and also learn from it, right? Build yourself up instead of beating yourself up, right? I was, I wanted, I needed to build myself up to learn from that experience. So that's how I moved forward with it was come from a more objective perspective of like, what went well, what didn't go well, and what will I do differently next time? But even though if I look at the whole, the whole race as a whole, it didn't go well. I always started with, I always start now. And I did then with what went well, finding the things that did go well to show my brain that there is some progress that was made here. There's something worth celebrating. There's something, um, useful out of this. And then there's the learnings that come with the nutrition fails, of course. (laughs) Right. So now tell us a story about your short course, um, disappointment, short course. This one is, let's see, you know, I don't know if I have a good short course example, to be honest, because I don't, I don't race a lot of short course and I don't, when I was early on, like when I did more sprints in Olympics, um, I mean, I know I've had my situations where I've like forgotten things, you know, I just like left things at home and had to borrow somebody else's or, or, um, just gone without it. But I don't have an example actually of, of a short course that went like terribly wrong Oh, or I can't remember it. Maybe I blocked it out. Maybe. Cause I thought when you initially was like, do you want a short or long? I thought maybe you had an example of both. 
I now I can't think of one. See, so like Sorry. you black and stuff out. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, you you made a comment about instead of breaking yourself down, build yourself up. Mm-hmm. What would you say to that athlete who has already broken themselves down? Mm-hmm. How should they build themselves back up so that mm-hmm. they can continue to go after their goals? Mm-hmm. Stop beating yourself up. Like now bring awareness to it. Are you, is this what you're doing? Are you in the practice of beating yourself up right now? And then the way that you, the way that you move into building yourself up is exactly what I was just, how I described my own experience with it is take a more objective view, allow yourself to see things that went well. It's, it might feel like a challenge because your brain, our brains are always scanning the world for what's not working how we're not doing enough, how we're so far. So you have to consciously and intentionally look for the things that are going well and moving you closer to your goals. So you look for what worked and then you explore the learnings from what didn't go well. That's how you build yourself up. That's good. So what is one thing or two things that you would have wanted to know when you were first starting out as a beginner that would have helped you? Hmm. Oh man. I, so I, I, I realized this very quickly because of just the state uh, just where I lived being in Atlanta, but I wish that I had, I, someone had, or I, someone had told me, or I had been aware of how impactful community would be in my journey. You know, like I would have dove in and really been even more open to like asking questions, getting to know the people that have been there a long time. Like the thing that I then grew into doing as a leader, I would have taken advantage of that more in the beginning if I had known, right? There are people that have so many different experiences that to, to learn from. Now, like I said, I, I'm so grateful for my, my time on the teams to learn, but I would have even taken more advantage of that. Right. And then the other thing is, is probably that I just, I didn't know what I know now and what I teach other people about the power of our minds, you know, our performance, our performance potential comes a hundred percent from our minds. And while I didn't have like huge lofty goals early on, it was more about, you know, enjoying the journey and really getting from getting to the start line, healthy and happy getting to the finish line, healthy and happy. Right. But that in itself is a performance goal, right? Because we have all life things that come up and those life things can very easily impact how we show up to our training. Right. But how you do one thing is how you do everything. And when you really see that for what it is, it allows you just to be more intentional in your life and in your training. And whether you want to finish an, a, a sprint or qualify for Kona, like it does not matter the scope of the goal. The intentionality is everything. And that comes from your mind. Yeah, that's good stuff. Like, I'm like, uh-huh, mm-hmm, keep going, keep going. Okay, so what if, like what I remember, at least I remember you saying that you, started rowing in college, but you didn't do any athletics as in high school, as a young 
adult. Mm-hmm. What was that journey for you coming from no athletic background to rowing in college to now being a dope triathlete, right? Like that's so far fetched because some people feel like, well, I don't have any athletic background at all. I can't do this. Can you help to dismantle that? Absolutely. So I will do it with like a, a statement first, and then I'll share my story because I, I, you are a triathlete when you decide to be, it's a decision that you make. Right. And for me, like I went into college with a background in speech and debate, by the way, that's what I did in in high school. (laughs) So I didn't have the athletic background, but I went into college wanting to become an athlete. I wanted to play a sport that would not only connect me with people and friends in college, but just grow myself as a human. Right. So I took, I mean, I was very unknowledgeable and it was a very vulnerable place, but I just reached out and, and to the, to the team, to the rowing team. And I asked like, what does it look like to try out? What do I need to do? And it, they were like, show up to conditioning. I was actually talking to my husband about this last night, because at that time, before I showed up for conditioning, I hadn't run a mile straight in my adult life. I did it in like the middle school tests or whatever you have to do, mm-hmm. but I hadn't run a mile straight. And I, but I was determined to show up to conditioning and do the best that I could. Maybe it meant that I didn't make the team, but I wanted to give my best. So I asked my boyfriend at the time to teach me how to run a mile, like train me to run so that I could, right. It was that decision that I made to be an athlete at that time. And it's the decision that I continue to make that allows me, that has allowed me to grow to where I am now right? It was, it was to be an athlete, to be a rower. And then it was to be a runner. And then it was to transition into triathlon and try multi-sport. And then when I moved on to long course, it was to be a long course triathlete. And now it's just to continue to push my own potential to see what's possible and to be an example of what's possible to anyone that can see themselves in my story. Well, I mean, I think for right now that you've given us so much to just really chew on. This is probably one of these episodes where people are going to have to listen to it multiple times to really truly ingest all of the wisdom that you've poured out. And this is just only half of it. So listen, you want more of Vanessa, you can have more of Vanessa weekly on the train your mind podcast that you can find on Apple is where I found it. And I'm sure it's plenty of other places. Follow her uh, on Instagram share your Instagram. It's at Vanessa Faye Forrester. Mm-hmm. And your website is www.vanessafayforrester.com. So listen, you've had the ways that you can connect with Vanessa. I think it's important that you reach out to her, maybe even do a consultation to be like, Hey, sis, I need help or help me get to this. And she, you never know how just one conversation can shift your total performance or a blockage from when you were a child and someone told you, you were never going to be a good athlete. You couldn't do Mm -hmm. anything. And that's still in the back of your mind. The goal here is to get you to try beginner's luck. And we want to dismantle and dismiss anything that can hinder that progress. And Vanessa is the woman who you need to see as the mental endurance coach. Okay.
right. <laughs> so I want to brag on Vanessa, but as you can see, she's just dope. And so I'm bragging on her to be like, she's the bomb. You should talk to her. Um, she is on the humble brag and didn't want to tell me any of her accomplishments. So I don't have anything to say. And that's fine. So what I'm going to do is just ramble to you all. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to ramble with you all. But just to know that, you know, to set out a goal and to come back 10 years later and to fulfill it honestly tells you everything you need to know about Vanessa. She's determined. She is consistent. She is uh, unstoppable. And she's going to keep going no matter what it is to the distance to fulfill her goals. And if she can do it, you can do it. And if you have any mental blocks or roadblocks, check out Vanessa. She's here to help you. That's her heart and her desire. And she wants to get you to the place where you feel confident and where you feel like you too can do this. And again, I want you to try beginner's luck. So I need you to partner up with Vanessa. If you have that mental block and saying, I can't do it because yes, you can. And that's the first thing is to take can't out of your vocabulary. That's elementary. I know, but it's true. Our words have power. Our words matter. Like I was recently convicted this week. Um, of just how my language had shifted. And I was just like, but Mashonda, that's not language that's going to get you to the destination. Because every time you say something that's completely opposed what you want, that's a seed that you're planting. And whether the seed is good or bad, the seed produces something. So be mindful of what it is that you're saying and if you've said something that's been bad, cancel it. Be like, like everybody's canceling people, cancel that word. You know what I'm saying? And bring back what you want to have into you. So that was me humbly bragging on Vanessa because she didn't give me anything. So you got me a little, a little extra message out of me for today. But now we're moving into the part of our uh, podcast where we like to do rapid fire questions. Um, so I want to just go down some rapid fire questions, quick, easy, to the point, um, that we like to ask. So here we go. Are you a transition minimalist, Goldilocks, where everything has to be just right? Or are you a kitchen sink hoarder where you bring everything with you? Minimalist. Okay. At the end of the race, is it beer, wine, water, or soda? Uh, water. <laughs> What, where is your favorite place to bike? Oh, um, oh, wow. Supposed to be rapid fire. Um, I mean, I live in a beautiful place. I live in, I live in Montana and we have some incredible climbs and great terrain. So we have a couple hundred mile routes out here that are just stunning, but I also got to ride the Kona course in October and that's pretty challenging and amazing too. Okay. Okay. What is your go-to workout? Whatever my coach gives me. <laughs> okay. Let me rephrase that question. What is your favorite workout that you like to do that your coach gives you? Oh, my favorite. Okay. So I do love challenging run interval workouts. I actually had one just this morning and I've been doing them on the treadmill, but if it's track season, I love that too. Um, just because it gives me that 
it gives me, I actually, what I do with it is I, I use that time to visualize parts of my race, especially when things get hard on the run or crossing my finish line. So I use those interval runs as a visualization time for my race. Awesome. While working out, are you an audiobook, podcast, music type of girl? Um, music sometimes, but what I do, what I, a lot of what I teach is about being present. So I like to zone in more than I zone out. Mm-hmm. Okay. What is one piece of gear that you can't leave home without? One piece of gear. Besides uh, your bike, because obviously you need your bike and your helmet, but what's one thing that you always have to have with you? Enough food, snacks. That doesn't count. Okay. Uh, that face. <laughs> I'm all about the food. <laughs> you are. I was like, just thinking, I was like, Vanessa's about her food. She's going to eat. Look, if that's the one thing you can't live home without, we'll take it. Yeah, that's it. We'll that's it. it. Uh, what's your favorite leg of the race and why? Oh, the run, run off the bike. I believe that I'm a stronger runner off the bike than I am standalone, which serves me well as a multi-sport athlete, but I use that to my advantage because then when other people are falling apart, that's when I come alive. (laughs) It's one of those. I like to track them down, track them down. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, speaking about, uh, the coming in, how do you decompress? Uh, spending time with my dogs mentioned at the top of them, I'm an obsessive dog mom. I love my pups and I love to take my dog to the dog park, spend out, spend time outside in the sunshine, not exercising, but just being in the sun. Okay. And since you're a foodie, (laughs) I would call myself a foodie. I like snacks, but okay. I like snacks. So what's your favorite post-workout food? (sighs) Well, I, I like to use food as fuel. I'm actually a plant-based athlete and I, there's one vegan restaurant here in Bozeman and I like to go there and treat myself to one of their farm bowls with a lot of good, yummy veggies and, um, good proteins and just fill myself up with really nutrition dense foods because post-workout is like the key to recovery that really helps feel the next workout. So I go for the highest nutrition value. Okay. Let's get a better answer. What's your favorite? You want like an indulgence? No. What's your favorite post race food? Post because post race and post-workout are very different. I mean, if I could have pharmacy, that restaurant post race, I totally would. Um, this is a hard question to answer because I'm plant-based. So I don't eat the like pizza and the tacos or whatever they have post-race. I just try to find something. Um, let me, I, so let me give you specific, like a specific race. We can think about, think to Coeur d'Alene 70.3. And my favorite place to go after Coeur d'Alene is to Pita Pit. You ever been to Pita Pit? No, but Love there it is. Like yeah. one of my guests was like Waffle House because that's yeah. what he likes. So whatever it is that you like, there it is. Well, do you pee on the bike or get off and take proper pee break? On the bike. Yeah. You got to practice. Got to be extra relaxed for that to work. Do you help people mentally learn how to pee on the bike? Uh, you know, I should, <laughs> I should add that to, to my business. <laughs> I help them cultivate a, a greater sense of relaxation. So maybe just didn't connect the two. 
I'm just saying, because like, sometimes people have like a mental blockage when it comes yeah. to peeing on the bike. So that could be, Absolutely. A, look at me, that could be a you, thing. Thank you so much. You got it. You got it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. I have had an amazing time with Vanessa Forster, and I'm just so excited for her to come. Listen, whenever you try beginner's luck, you always win. I'm Mashonda, and I'm out. Peace. Thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode. We need your help so we can continue to try at TBL. So for more information on where you can find and subscribe to this podcast, visit www.trybeginnersluck.com. And don't forget, whenever you try beginner's luck, you always win.